Guys, uh, welcome in to Wednesday's uh, the Wednesday Bible study. Today, uh, we'll be fin- uh, we'll continue with Finishing Strong. This will be part seven today. If you have your book, or and if, if not, if you're making notes, it, it will be based on chapter chapter seven. Let me give you a couple of uh, programming notes. Uh, w- there will be no Bible study next Wednesday. Uh, I will be in Italy, somewhere between Rome and Florence uh, next Wednesday. I'm not sure which on that day which city I'm in. Uh, so I'll be leaving out for Italy on vacation with my wife and two of my sons. So keep us in your prayers as we travel, and uh, then we'll come back the following week. So uh, next Wednesday there'll be no Bible study here. I always say when you know we have any time off, there uh, there's two here and two in the in the very back. Either one. Uh, we uh, if if on a Wednesday you know when you get into these routines, try not to break these routines. If we get up to this Wednesday and you're at our, our today's the day I usually have a Bible study or something I'm listening to or studying, either go back to maybe some of the series that we studied or pick out a Bible study that maybe you've never heard or maybe you missed. Uh, You can find those by going to BurgessMinistries.com and clicking on Media, and you'll see the Wednesday Bible study there. I think it's called that, or Rick's Bible study or something. And click on that, and you can go back through any of the series that we've done, or you can go on our YouTube channel and find. You won't find them going as far back on the YouTube channel, but you can find some because uh, we started doing that much later in our journey. Uh, also, the Rick and Bubba podcast channel has some archives for you as well. Or just find something that you want to study on your own. Or, or but, but don't let Wednesday just be a day. Say, well, since we're not getting together at the studio, if this is part of your routine, stay with it. I would, I would encourage you to do that. The next Man Church, for those of you at Shades Mountain Baptist Church or any of you who'd like to visit us, uh, will be April the 28th, Scott Dawson will be speaking, a uh, dear friend, and he'll be talking about the, the, the journey that he went on, uh, even running uh, for governor, but we won't spend a lot of time on that. But I know that Scott will challenge us, um, as he um, always does. So make a point that he'll be speaking on the 28th, and then we'll get into another round of Bible studies uh, after that. So let's open up in prayer, and let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, any of those that have joined us today for the first time, either listening uh, you know, around the world on the podcast, the YouTube channel, uh, any of the social media channels, maybe watching on Blaze TV. And um, uh, Lord, we just ask you'll bless them and open up their hearts today. This message, you could join this message anytime. You don't have to be involved in any of the Bible studies for today's message to be exactly what we all need to hear today about the wonderful grace and mercy that God has afforded us all. And, uh, and Lord, thank you so much for that. May we never take it for granted, but may we always live a life that says thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I pray for the, for those that are still not with us. We celebrate Bill Searcy and the incredible recovery that is going on in his life and the success of the, of the surgery and the treatments. And we pray, Lord, that you bring him back to full health. Be with those that are members of our men's ministry that are still grieving the loss of loved ones. And, of course, be with each and every man that's represented in family here today. And I'm sure there's many things that we're not aware of, Lord, but um, but we know that you're near to the brokenhearted. And pray today, Lord, you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Chapter 7, uh, you know, we've been talking so much about finish, 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 and we'll continue that today. But today we're going to talk about something that, that I know I can relate to and, and I think probably a lot of people can relate to that are listening to this, watching this, or in the room, and that is lousy start. Lousy start, but yet strong finish. And, and there's no doubt uh, that the, the, the hope that we need to find in today's message is it doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where you're going. And, and there's not a situation represented anywhere in this room or anywhere around, anywhere around the country or anywhere around the world 
that God has not redeemed. And so we, we want to talk about this because I think a lot of times, and I've seen examples of this and, and even people that I've dealt with in, in my own life and people that I continue to deal with, and I can remember you know, even being in a situation in my life when people were you know, coming to me and trying to help me, and, and you get to the point where you think, well, I've done so much, there's just no recovery. Nothing could be further from the truth, and that is certainly not a message from God. Uh, the, the, the question, that everybody in this room, everybody listening, everybody paying attention, everybody can finish well if you are willing to be redeemed by, by, by Jesus Christ. So that we start off with the example of this. I remember, too, I was surprised. That's what I love about these Bible studies. I don't know how much it's helping all of you, but it is completely transforming me. And, uh, and I, too, much like Steve talked about, when you bring up Manasseh in my life, I'm like, oh, Manasseh. Uh, that 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 that's that that is the end of it all. That's the most evil, the most wicked, you know. And I even talked with Steve a little bit. I, I reached out to Steve Ferrar, and he kind of set me straight. I was I, I was I was going to go back to Hezekiah a little bit, and he encouraged me not to do that because you know Hezekiah's the little deal he made at the end of his life was 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 quite bizarre, and I wondered what impact that may have had uh, on Manasseh. And I, I guess if I had my phone, I'd read. He bottom line, he said. I've thought that myself, but that don't need to be part of the message. He said, "We we, we learn in seminary that you don't start you don't don't start adding stuff. Just go with what the scripture says. Because honestly, we don't know. I mean, he was 12 years old when he started reigning. We don't know what relationship he had with his father or, or what that would be. So certainly, we've all thought that. Let's just deal with Manasseh because that's what that's what we know we can can deal with, and that's why that's what Steve did in his book. So if you have your Bible or something." Uh, with with your Bible on it, we'll look quickly at the lifestyle of Manasseh, and that's not where we're going to land uh, because what we really want to talk about is a part of Manasseh's life that I'm going to be honest with you, I did not know. Manasseh had a lousy, lousy start, and the question before all of us, can God's grace cover everything? And let me tell you this, I can say this with zero reservation, if God can forgive Manasseh, he can certainly forgive you, and he can certainly forgive me. Uh, because it, you know, we certainly don't want to do a playoff of, of comparisons, as I've told you, because we're all equal at the foot of the cross. But I will tell you this, Manasseh is about as wicked as any person could possibly be. Uh, and if you don't believe that, uh, look at uh, 2 Kings uh, verse 21, and we'll kind of walk through uh, uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 21, I'm sorry, chapter 21, and we'll start right there in verse 1. Uh, so if you have that or you want to make a note of that, there's a quote that starts out, a Spanish proverb that starts out chapter 7 in the book, but I don't think I can say it. Uh, but um, the bottom line is there is a, a word in the Bible for a beast of burden, and the Spanish proverb says if three people say you are one of these, you probably want to put on a bridle. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, uh, but I thought that was funny. So um, Manasseh, because all most of us know about the lifestyle of Manasseh, is that he was he was evil, and it tells us that in Manasseh that Manasseh's kingdom started in Second Kings chapter twenty one verse one when he was twelve years old. Uh, so at a very young age uh, he ruled, and he ruled for fifty five years in Jerusalem. Now I want you to think about that fifty five years. Uh, he uses the analogy if we looked at it the way we see presidents, that means somebody was president from nineteen forty five to the year two thousand. Uh, that'd be quite an impact you'd have probably on the, on the country. And then there's a line that we find a lot uh, in, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and we find this, this, this line about Manasseh. 
and he did evil. This is in verse 2. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. So he did all. One of the things that they're talking about here when it says he did evil, it means that he did every kind of evil that was in the promised land. When he says that, you know, look at this where it says the abominations of the nations who the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. What he's saying is, instead of going in when, when, when they took the promised land from the Canaanites, what he's saying is what, what, um, what was going on with Manasseh, he didn't set himself apart as different from these other nations that God allowed them to conquer. What he said is, I'm going to do the very same things these nations did, and I'm going to see if I can't do it tenfold. And he said, when you think about the Canaanites, he said, before Joshua and his troops arrived on the scene to wipe out the Canaanites, at God's specific command, sexual perversion and child sacrifice were everyday things among these people. But we know that judgment day fell on the Canaanites, just as it will fall on all nations of the world. And God was telling us in Second Kings that what Manasseh did in Judah, because he's the king of Judah now, we're in the two different, you know, we have, we have the two different kingdoms now, uh, was the same kind of sick stuff the Canaanites were addicted to before they were driven out of the land. And uh, that's what he means by according to the abominations of the nations. That means that uh, he was as perverse and violent as the Canaanites were. And um, it said that he equaled their perversion. If you look at verse 3, it gives us a little more on this. It said he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, have, had destroyed. If you remember, when you're going through the, the different kings, one of the problems you would see is God would always bring to their attention, hey, you need to, you need, you've handled some things you have going on here, but you need to go up to the high places where all of these perverted countries have all these different altars to all these different idols, and you need to tear them down and remove them. And not, and some kings would do it, some kings wouldn't. Some kings would do something in between. And I always use this message in my own life: those high places are those sins in our life that we don't ever quite deal with. Now, we'll deal with the stuff down here that everybody can see. I'll go clean the temple out. I'll clean this up a little bit. But up there in the high places, I'm never going to go up there and deal with that. And God would tell these kings over and over again, you need to go deal with that. Well, Hezekiah finally dealt with it. And now here's his son, says, go back there and build that stuff back up. So now he's going back up there, and he rebuilt the high places that his father had destroyed. And, and that's exactly what they were. they were. They were places for religious ceremonies to idols and gods. And, uh, and, and, of course, as, as Steve can say with his sense of humor, if you don't understand what was going on up at the high places, they weren't church picnics and softball games. It was nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, and uh, so he was rebuilding these. Look what it says next in, in verse 3. He erected altars for Baal uh, he, uh, and made an asherah as Arab king of Israel had done and worshipped all, uh, all the host of heaven and served them. Manasseh would not allow, wouldn't allow the worship of the Lord. He probably fought hard to keep the Ten Commandments from being posted, he said, in any public school. What he wanted to do, he wanted to worship any pagan religion he could think of. And, of course, Baal was one of his favorites. Asherah was right up there with that, too. Now, you remember we talk about the Asherah poles. Have you heard us talk about that a lot? I won't get too deep in this, but it was a symbol of a female deity. And uh, they believe that uh, these poles that were described in Scripture, and I'll handle this as, as mildly as I can, uh, they, they were erected in a way that was phallic, and I'll just leave it at that. I mean, talking once again about sexual perversion and orgies and, and things of this nature, it was closely aligned with their worship of sex, which they did. So, and he says it again, look here in 4 and 5, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, 
of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name, uh, for he built altars for all the host of heaven and in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So catch the enormity of what's happening here. Solomon had built the temple in Jerusalem so that God may have a place where his presence could dwell and the people could come and worship. Now Manasseh's heart had become so corrupt and callous that he actually went into that holy place that Solomon had built, and he set up altars of worship for these repulsive imported gods inside the temple as well as the high places. So, but it, but then now here comes the one that's really going to rock your world, and especially with what our country is facing right now and the things we're doing. Verse 6 tells us he made his son pass through the fire. So what does that mean? Well, one of the gods that Manasseh worshipped um, required for there to be human sacrifice. And what was happening with a lot of the people when they would turn to these gods, it says they would literally take their children and they would throw them on the fire to be sacrificed to, to the gods. And it's telling us in Scripture that Manasseh sacrificed one of his own sons in the fire to a false god. So he killed one of his own sons to sacrifice it to one of these false gods. And it said they would, they would, when, they, when they would get into this frenzy, when they would be before these idols that required this, they would take their firstborn sons and get as close as they could to the fiery idol, which they'd set on fire, and they'd toss the child to its death into the white-hot hands. The, the idol would have its hands out, and they would burn it and burn it and burn it until it was ragingly hot. And this false idol with its hands out, they would take their children and pitch it right into those hands, and of course, as soon as the child hit these burning hands, it would incinerate the child and, and burn it to death. Uh, it says also, on Manasseh's resume, we also find in verse 6 that he practiced, practiced witchcraft, uh, and, uh, and he dealt with mediums and, and all kinds of spiritual you know, people that were conjuring up all sorts of things. So we got witches, we got, we got everything you can think of. We got ch- children being sacrificed. Uh, we have all kinds of witches and warlocks around him. And then again, it tells us as we go on that he set the carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to his son Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. So here's the temple. This is supposed to be the place where God abides. If these are instructions to David and what Solomon finished. And Manasseh says, I'll take an idol of Asherah, and I will push it right into the place of the temple. I'll take one of these phallic symbols. I'll push that right into the temple where they believe the Spirit of God dwelt. Wow. Wow. So, so you're looking at this, at this resume, and you're thinking, well, this guy is, is as bad as it gets. True. You do see a lot of things, though, that he's doing, that our country is doing as well. And, and, of course, now don't think that God was just watching this going, well, this doesn't really bother me at all. How many times did we know in the Bible when God's talking to the prophets, how many times he would say to them, do they not know that I can see what they're doing? Do they think they've gone somewhere to hide from me and I can't see what they're doing? I see it. Well, he saw what was happening too. And if you, if you look, here's what God had to say. Now the Lord spoke through his servants and prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did who were before him, 
and has also made Judah sin with its idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears shall tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and, 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 and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So that's the Lord's response in verse 10 through 13. In other words, judgment day had arrived. Don't miss what he said. Manasseh did more than all the Amorites who were before him. The Amorites were part of the culture, culture really known as the Canaanites. So before the scripture said that Manasseh equaled their sin and perversion, now he had passed them. In fact, he had lapped them. He was doing stuff that they never thought of doing, and he was doing it in God's special city, Jerusalem. Whenever you and I deviate from God's best for us, he speaks to our hearts. Usually he speaks quietly at first, I love this, in that distinctive, still, small voice. But if we continue in our sin, he will often put people around us who will carefully and lovingly challenge us about our sin. Have you been there? I have, because they care so much about us. Once again, we have the option to listen or to harden our hearts and ignore the counsel. He says it is obvious by God's final response, Manasseh wasn't open to those type of people that he sent to Manasseh. He didn't want to hear what God had to say, but God spoke through the prophets and said, I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. Now these are terms used by survey crews. When you have a hill and you want to level it, you call the surveyors in with their plummet or their level. So what God is saying in response to the things that Manasseh did, I'm going to come into Jerusalem and I'm going to level it. And just in case that metaphor didn't sink in, the Lord used another one, and I could see this one much clearer because I don't know much about construction. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. I know that one. Uh, and wiping it and turning it upside down. And, and Steve says, when you dry the dishes, how do you do it? Usually you take the dish in your hand, dry one side, then turn it over in the other so that every bit of moisture is sponged away. God is saying, that is what I'm going to do in response to the sin of Manasseh. I'm going to wipe Jerusalem clean. Verse 16 tells us, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Now, a lot of people believe, and uh, you look at Hebrews 11.37. I, I often use this when When we go to the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11.37, we only love to talk about when God says all these people got miracles and they were saved from calamity, but it keeps on going. And then it says, and other people who were just as faithful were sawed in two, uh, had all kinds of horrible things happen to them. He said he didn't see any distinction in the faith of those that in his divine will didn't have calamity come against them or they had miracles of even their children sometimes being brought back to, to life. But other people with the exact same faith were martyred. And Hebrews 11 sees no distinction between one or the other on how much how faithful they were. So that's that health, wealth, and prosperity garbage that sounds good. It's just not biblical. So, so here's what happens now. Many believe that in, in Hebrews 11, 37, when we talk, he talked about some of his prophets were sawed in two, that there are, there's many traditions and historical evidence that Manasseh, when Isaiah kept saying to him, hey, God's not happy. 
he, he sees what you've done, and he is going to his his wrath is coming down. You know, this is the choice we all have when it comes to accountability. We can listen, and we can we we can we can you know be you know, kind of wretched and say, hey, I, don't, I can't believe what I did. We can have clarity. We can repent. Or we can get so angry with people who hold us accountable. We talked about these people in other chapters that we begin to mock or scoff at these people, and we get so tired of hearing them, we just remove either them or ourselves from our relationship with them versus repentance. Well, in this case, uh, historians believe that Manasseh was the one who took a hollowed-out log and sawed Isaiah in half. See, that's, that was the tough part about being a prophet. You rarely had good news. And uh, in this case, it says, if you look at the rest of his obituary, it says, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, this is in uh, verses, uh, I think, 17 and 18, yes. Now, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did in his sin, which he committed, are not written, are they not written in the book of, of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, and in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon, his son, became king in his place. So at this point, that's all I knew about Manasseh. Even though the Bible clearly tells me, go over to Second Chronicles if you want to know more. I never did. And uh, so I think this guy's wicked. Uh, he's evil. God came in. He punished everybody. He punished him. We got a new king, and that's the end of Manasseh. He's an example of what we shouldn't be. He's evil. He's wicked. We don't even say the word Manasseh. Well, have you ever been so upset with somebody like Jonah was that you didn't want them to come to repentance? And, and, and you wanted to be sure that that person paid for what they did on earth and you hoped that they went to hell and, and they paid and they were punished and they burned and died forever? Of course, you know, we have to be careful with that because I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that if you think about it, when you come to how holy God is, that's really what should happen to all of us. And I know that we keep it, you know, degree, and there's certainly, you know, it, it is different, let's be honest, to steal a pack of, of chewing gum than to go murder everybody who's at home just because they were home. Th those are, th there's, there's two different calamities there, but what we're talking about is that God doesn't see any sin other than our rejection of Jesus Christ, the sin against the Holy Spirit. That's the only sin that he says dooms us. All sin, if we repent, and we'll get into the kind of repentance that he's talking about, is forgivable. Do you believe that? Even Manasseh. Now, God will do whatever he needs to do to get our attention and give us our best shot, and he certainly does for Manasseh in Second Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33, you're not going to believe this, but Manasseh repents. I didn't know that either. So if you go to 2 Chronicles uh, 33, and it talks about everything that happened, and if you look down, if your Bible's like my Bible, you will see in verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 33, my title over verse 10 says Manasseh's repentance. Did y'all know that? Some of y'all may have known I didn't know that. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no, atten no attention. Now listen to 11. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him into Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord 
his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Look at 13. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What? Now I want you to listen to something because if you don't take anything else out of today and you don't take anything else out of the four years that we've been meeting in this studio at noon, I don't want you to miss this because this is phenomenal news. I want you to think about whatever you've done in your life. I want you to think about, and man, I can think about terrible, horrible, wretched things. I promise you. And maybe there's something that, that is holding you back right now. You're thinking, I can't get past it. God won't forgive me for that. This, this really got, I mean, this got me to the point that my eyes got watery when I was going over this at home this past weekend. And this is what hit me. No matter how wicked, no matter how wicked and evil you and I may be, and how holy the Lord God truly is. He is holy. He said that when a man as evil as Manasseh humbled himself and he prayed to him that our holy God was moved by a truly repentant prayer from Manasseh. He was moved by it. And he responded and forgave him. He was moved by sincere prayer of repentance from Manasseh. Do you think any of you have done worse than Manasseh? I've probably done as bad as Manasseh in a lot of areas of my life. But you know what? Don't forget this part, though. God loved him enough that he let an enemy come in and put a ring through his nose. This powerful king that could speak anything, he could kill anybody, he could saw Isaiah in half, at just all he had to do was speak it. And God said, well, I'm going to get you, because we don't repent till God does what? Till he humbles us. And so he, ta- he thinks the Assyrians come in, an army stronger than his. He thought his army was the strongest in the world, and he was wrong. God let the Assyrians, and don't forget, he let them come into one of the very walls that Manasseh tore down which is, by the way, that's hilarious. Okay, so, so they come in, and they get him, and they grab him, and they take a hook and put it through his nose, and they chain him and drag him around like an animal and throw him in a dungeon to die. And God loved Manasseh enough to allow that to happen because that was Manasseh's only shot. And I can tell you that he did whatever he had to do in my own life to humble me to the point to give me my best shot. And I, I'm glad he did it because I don't know that if God had not done and allowed what he allowed in my life that I'd be standing here teaching this class right now. I've said it before. God knows what he's doing, and as my wife has said, I don't always like how he does it, but I can't argue with his results. And so what he said is that I will take Manasseh to a place of repentance And when he repents, and this is the part that just puts chills all over my body, when he repents, 
when he cries out to me with a heart that I can see. I could see the wickedness of his heart, but you know what I see now? I see the repentance of his heart. And a holy God, looking at this evil man, it said he was moved. So God is moved by a true prayer of repentance. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. And, and, and then we see that Manasseh actually finished well. Did y'all know Manasseh finished well? I didn't. After he repented, it said he was restored back to the kingdom, and he actually finished well. So what do we take away from this? Number one's real easy. We just talked about it. Genuine repentance unlocks the door of God's mercy. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Genuine repentance unlocks the door of God's mercy. Now, there's two kinds of repentance. There's real that unlocks the door of God's mercy, and then there's fake, which God doesn't hear. Thomas Watson said, if you want to know what real repentance is, and you'll love this one, real repentance is this, it's the vomiting of the soul. We truly abhor our sin. We, we get to the point that when we're, when, we, when we're in the presence of a holy God, we see how wicked and dark our sin really is, and we no longer are flippant about our sin, and we take it serious from the gut. We abhor what we've done. And how about this? If given the opportunity to do it again, we wouldn't. Y'all hear me that? That's true repentance. It's not I got caught and I've been inconvenienced, and if everybody will get off my back in a minute, I'll go sleep with that woman again. It is being generally sick at the stomach, vomiting your soul, saying, I am wretched, and this sin is dark, and it's twisted. I can't believe. what. Why, when did David finally get back into good graces with God from a spiritual standpoint when he said, I have sinned against God? He didn't care that he sinned against Bathsheba. He didn't care that he sinned against Uriah. He didn't care that he sinned against the armies. He didn't care that he sinned against his own children. When he finally had true repentance is when he said, when Nathan made him realize you've sinned against God. You are this man. That's repentance. Now, that, does that mean it'll wipe out all the earthly repercussions? No, no. see, suddenly Manasseh's son that he threw on the, on the altar didn't come walking back going, hey, daddy, you, you were forgiven, and I'm back. We'll have that relationship we never got to have. No, sin matters, but none of it is above Redemption, which is the real problem. Everything will be made right, Revelations 20, Revelation 21. I'm going to make everything right. Behold, I make all things new. But forgiveness is available right now. Right now. So first of all, genuine repentance. How about this? I love this. Genuine repentance always brings evidence with it. What did John the Baptist say? Bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. What does he mean by that? Demonstrate your forgiveness. What does that mean? Where's the proof of your repentance? So what if, what if y'all said, hey, man, I heard that Rick uh, uh, you know, was, was really felt bad about the fact that you know, they found out at the company that he was actually stealing money from the company and keeping it for himself, and he repented of that. And somebody said, really? That? And then all of a sudden you heard two weeks later, well, we caught Rick stealing money again. Well, then you realize there's no fruit. I didn't demonstrate that my repentance was sincere. So what's the best way to demonstrate sincere repentance? You don't do it anymore. 
You don't do it anymore. I have found that Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, let's say it again, we say this all the time, we're saying when we repent that we now receive the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and I have found that when that power justified my spirit and I was forgiven of my sins, that that power then I became, but started becoming sanctified, that I didn't desire that sin anymore, not because of a code of conduct, not because of legalism, not because of my incredible self-control, but because of the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. He can do it as long as we're repentant enough to submit to Him completely and say, hey, change me. I can't change me. You change me. And He will. And I, I love when John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. What he's saying is, I don't want to hear a bunch of lip service. I want to see it. Because why, why is it important to see it? The life truth the Bible talks about all the time. We may not always live out what we profess. I can tell you one thing and do another, but we always live out what we believe. You want to know what I believe? Just watch me. Watch what I do. Not what I say. Watch what I do. So that, that's one of them. So also, um, when he was talking about what God did in 2 Chronicles thirty three fourteen, when he talked about the Assyrians coming in, he was talking about what I just talked about. That was true repentance. God used the Assyrians to get Manasseh into a place of true repentance. And let me ask you this. Are you willing? Are you willing? Here's what I would tell you from somebody who's tried to go to war with the great I am, <laughs> the beginning and the end. Go ahead and repent. Go ahead and repent. Because he loves you enough that he's going to give you your best shot at repentance. And I hope you don't have to pray a prayer, prayer today saying, I'm too hard-headed, I won't do it. Lord, do whatever you have to do to cause me to repent. He will. And he's good. And he'll bring the Assyrians into your house if he has to. So go ahead and just say, I believe you're right and repent now. But the good news is there's nothing he can't redeem. And that goes into our second point. And I think this is so important. Now, we're going to have to walk through this carefully so we don't get the wrong message. The second point, my past life does not exclude me from present service. My past, Look, if my past life was going to be indicative of me for the rest of my life, I can't do what I'm doing right now. I, I, I can't be here. I, there's nothing I can do for the kingdom of God anymore because of how sinful I once was. But what, what, what did Jesus tell me? He said, you're a new creation. You know, I say this all the time. It's just become a joke with the, some of the young guys that I'm mentoring, and they're starting to pick it up. Uh, and I knew it was an, a, a young guy that's asked me to mentor him, and he and I were getting closer and closer. He's learned it. Somebody will come up and say something to me that's not positive. Kidding around. You know, Rick, you're going to do this. Rick, you're going to do that. You know, he'll say, that's old Rick. you got to talk to new Rick. Old Rick. I, you know, people bring up past stuff. I say, man, that's old Rick. You must, you must be thinking of the Rick that what, the before I was redeemed by Jesus. And you know what? I have found that I've gotten to the point through the sanctification found in Jesus and the pursuit of Jesus. Seek me and you'll find me, the power of Jesus. I'm getting to the point, and I'm going to keep on, man, and y'all hold me accountable. I want to get to the point that I look at the Rick standing before you today, and two years from now, I call this old Rick. I, I can't even recognize this Rick because Jesus keeps on changing me. So let me, let's look at what he's talking about here. Reject your past bottom line. If you have your Bible, doesn't mean you don't learn from it, but don't let it define you if you've been redeemed by Jesus because that's disrespectful to the redemption 
that Jesus Christ provides. So let's go to 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, I love this when, when Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I love this. Paul is talking, man, and, you know, I can see somebody like me and some of my buddies sitting out there in the church at Corinth. And we're looking at Paul. You know what Paul kept saying? Hey, man, I, I've been forgiven as, more than anybody. I was persecuting, killing the church. And, you know, I, I love when he goes on to tell us in, in a few chapters over about he shouldn't even be an apostle, and the only thing good about him is Jesus because he persecuted and killed the church. But look what he's saying here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at 11. As such were some of you. Don't miss that line. You know, he's saying, hey, now some of y'all used to be on this list. But you're not anymore. What he's saying is, these people who have not repented and are living on this list will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, and you know that because you used to be just like them. But you're not that way anymore. Now, now see, I could see that. I could see me sitting in that, in that audience. I could see our Bible study sitting there, and he starts listing this list, and all of a sudden it hit us. Yeah, it was us. You know, I remember we used to be over at the bars, drunkards, that's us. Adulterers, that's me. You know, like that. And you know what he says, but you've all been redeemed. So you know if you stayed in this lifestyle, you weren't going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. This list is a terrible list, and we all used to be on it. But not anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Not anymore. So we hear that list now. We go, I can relate to that list. But that ain't who I am anymore. And when people start trying to come against us and keep trying to remind us of once we once were, we just simply tell them how wonderful Jesus is and how he forgave us, and he can certainly forgive them even for what they're doing to us right now. See, that's the devil. You're going to have people in your life, and I've certainly had them and then had to remove them, that are never going to let you be redeemed. They're never going to let you be forgiven because you used to be the guy that made them feel better about themselves. And now that Jesus has changed you, they have to look and wonder why I hadn't changed them. There are people, don't think everybody's going to applaud you when you start being sanctified and be made holy by Jesus. Not everybody wants to see that. You know why? Because it convicts them. And that's not sanctimonious. And that's not self-righteous. That's just the power of Jesus. And when people see it, they liked it better when they said, this guy was so wicked the standard was so low, I just had to get next to him. Guys, you realize how good I used to make people look? And then they look around and say, what's going on with Burgess? We can't hang with him anymore. All everyone's talking about is Jesus. Well, I hope so. If, if people don't want to be around me, I, cause, I hope it's because of Jesus, not because I'm annoying. As we said before. So that's one thing. So here's Paul talking about this is the past life. as you, Dealing with old memories haunted by the past. You've heard this analogy a thousand times. Um, and that analogy of the elephant, you know, that they raise them up in training back before all these animal rights people ruined the circus. But anyway, so, um, the, you know, the, when they would raise them as babies, what, when the baby was too small to get off that stake, they'd chain it to the stake. Well, they raised it that way, and as the elephant got big enough to take the stake up and throw it away, it didn't know it. So that's, that elephant thought that that stake could hold it down because that's what it always known. That's the way sin works. You know, the devil and the adversary and the demons and, and, and just people 
are always trying to convince you and me that because of whatever happened in our past, we can never move forward. We can't really truly be completely redeemed. But you don't believe that because that's not what Jesus said. That's not the words of Jesus. That's not the gospel. That is a lie from the pits of hell. I told you this before. I remember when Sherry and I first got married, and we both were, were so new to the faith, and we were just little babes in the faith. <laughs> and and, and I, we were going forward like every Sunday. And finally the pastor was like, whoa, guys, guys, you're, you, are, are you getting saved every Sunday? And we're like, well, I, man, we just, you don't know what all, we be, what all we've done. And he finally said, look, go home. Get, get a legal pad out, because Burgess, you'll probably need a legal pad. Sherry might need a notebook. And go through here, and whatever you need to repent of, repent of it, and then cross through it, wad it up. Do y'all have a grill? And I said, yeah, we got one of those little, you know, we didn't have a nice grill then. We had a charcoal grill, you know. He said, well, then make a fire and go burn it. If you've repented of the sin, it, God doesn't see it anymore. Amen. Remember we said the analogy? Jesus is the only lawyer that walks into the court with his client and tells the judge, my client is guilty, but I've already paid whatever y'all got to do to him. But he is guilty. But I have made him righteous. Whatever the punishment is, I've paid it. And so that's living from victory, guys. And that doesn't mean that we abuse grace, because the Bible says don't do that either, either, but it certainly means that we celebrate grace and we embrace grace and we accept that what Jesus says about us is true. Not what the world says about us. You shouldn't care what anybody says about you other than Jesus. Now, if you're in conflict with Jesus, you need to care about that too. I love the writer of, of the guy who wrote all the Sherlock Holmes books. He was a practical joker like me. And he actually did a joke one time to all of his buddies. And he got a message to every one of his buddies. And all it said was, all has been discovered. And he had a bunch of his buddies leave the country. <laughs> They all and he was like, "Hey man, I was just kidding." And what he what he didn't realize is he knew that everybody had stuff in their life, and so he just sent them says, "Hey, you need to leave the country. All has been discovered, and all of his friends left." And he had to call them back, "Man, I was it was just a joke." Because you think about this, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. You know what he said? "All has been discovered, all has been known, and all has been forgiven." All has been forgiven. Anything that we have repented of has been forgiven. It says Jesus is the ultimate jaws of life. You ever seen a car wreck? And they say, hey, man, and if some of you have been through that, I'm not trying to be insensitive. You've had a loved one get killed or something like that. But we know what it's for, right? we got to rescue people. And the only way we can rescue them is we got to get the jaws of life and cut this metal. That's the only hope they, they're getting out. Jesus Christ is, um, is the ultimate jaws of life. One of the reasons that, that your past life continues to be held against those who have been redeemed, and I love this, part of it, if I can just be your brother and love you for a minute, is you need to free yourself from biblical ignorance. If you don't know what the Bible says about sin and you don't know what Jesus has said about forgiveness, it's easy for somebody to hold you hostage because you don't have any biblical scripture that you can bark back at Satan, bark back at the demons, bark back at your flesh, bark back at those who come against you. When someone says, hey, you, you know, I remember when this happened, say, hey, that's been paid for. That's not me anymore. That's old me. That's, that's, that's before I was redeemed. I look what 1 John says in um, verse 19, 29. You know, you've heard this been talked about a, a lot. I remember when we went through the, the, was it seven things Danny said from the cross? Yeah, and, and so, of course, the biggie is the last thing said. And what's that? It is finished. So if you go to the Gospel of John, this is the part in verse 29 
where, and this is the part I love when Jesus, you know, before this, and I remember we taught, you taught this, I'd never forgot it. This thing about our thirst. Why, why in the world is Jesus asking for something to drink when people have been trying to give him something to drink and he never has taken it all the way to the cross? And now finally, he, he, from the cross, he begins to utter, I thirst, I thirst. And of course, they, they get something up there and they, they make his palate moist. And I'll tell you why he wanted that so you could hear what he was about to say. You ever tried to talk when, you, when you've been dehydrated? You ever been trying to talk when your mouth's all dry? I thirst. Hey, I, I'm done now, so I need this. I, I, want, I want something to give me moisture in my human mouth so I can say the greatest news of all time, to Tetelestai, it is finished. Paid in full. Done. Done. That's the beautiful thing about our faith that defeats all religions in the world. All the other religions say do, do, don't do, do. Jesus Christ and those who follow him are under the protection of done. 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 And I know, dudes, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a man. I understand that you're saying it can't be that simple. No, let me help you. Let me play to your masculinity. It is that powerful. Does that help you? There ain't nothing easy about following Jesus. <laughs> nothing. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, only a few ever pull it off. Does that challenge you a little bit? So don't say, is it that easy? Just say, it must be that powerful. Right? And, 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 and so it, it really is. So then we look now, and he said, look, look at 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 2. I love when John says this. He died not only for my sins, but also for the sins of the entire world. Y'all like that? He didn't just die for John. He died for everybody. He died for everybody. If you have, I love this one too. Uh, Colossians, this is good. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Here's some more victory. You ready for this? Let's don't have biblical ignorance when it comes to repentance and forgiveness. Uh, 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now that's a little ad from Paul because he's talking to Gentiles, meaning you Gentiles had two strikes against you. You were dead in your trespasses and you're not circumcised, so you're not, you're not part of the circumcised party. He says, God made alive together, meaning Gentiles and Jews, with him, having, having forgotten, you'll love this, have, having forgotten us all our trespasses. Did he say some? Did he say some? No, what's the word? Say it back. All. God has forgiven us all our trespasses. Say it again, not some. What does he say? What does that mean? It means all. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Don't forget this. Do we deserve to die? Yes. Do we deserve to go to heaven? Yes. Is God just to send us to hell? Yes. And he knew that, which is why he had to do something we couldn't do. I met a guy in Nicaragua. Have I told y'all this already? If 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 I, if if I have if I have, it's good again. Okay. Of course, I would be in Nicaragua, knowing very little Spanish, and I hear someone speaking English, and I think, Lord, thank you. Now I can witness to somebody that I don't have to have a translator, and I'm rolling over to him, and I can hear that English accent, that beautiful English accent, and I'm like, Hey, man, nice to meet you. You speak English? Yes, I do. And guess what? He was an atheist. And I thought, Well, isn't that the way it is? Uh, I, I, at least these people that I'm speaking Spanish back and forth with, they, they, they want to hear. I've got one English guy who's telling me right out of the gate, please don't come after me with this Jesus stuff. You know what he said? I, do y'all love when atheists think they're the first person to ever say something to you? Oh, I've never heard that before. He said, 
And I told him that, of course, because I'm a smart aleck. But, but anyway, so he said, he said, I just can't, can't worship a God. You know, see, y'all can say it with me. They would send people to hell if they don't believe in him. I said, you know something? I said, I wouldn't worship a God like that either. And he just stops. And he's like, well, isn't that what you worship? Mm, no, I don't. I worship a God that's delivering people from hell. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> huh, Adler? Amen. I don't worship a God that sends people to hell. I worship a God that delivers people from hell. See, people send themselves to hell. And because the God I worship actually came to us and, and, and redeemed us, and we couldn't redeem ourselves. And they, I said, and sir, if you want to go to hell, then you will crawl across the cross. You'll have to crawl across it and throw yourself into hell because the God I serve doesn't send people to hell. He delivers them from hell. And I said, so yeah, I wouldn't worship that kind of God either. And I said, so I guess you're smarter than C.S. Lewis. I played an English card because he, he was from London. And I said, so you're smarter than C.S. Lewis. He said, well, I wouldn't say that. I said, well, you sound like it. I said, because C.S. Lewis must be stupid since he, he didn't believe in God either. And then he went out to find out if the resurrection really took place. And he found all this incredible evidence that it took place. And he came to the conclusion that he could not deny that the resurrection had happened, and if the resurrection happened, then Jesus Christ must truly be something more than just some hippie out there telling people to treat each other nice. And he came to the conclusion that the very thing he said he didn't believe in, he was a very unlikely convert, and he gave his life to Jesus and wrote incredible, I mean, just in, the mere Christianity. You know what he did? He wrote a book to make sure we all understood what he didn't once believe. I said, so I guess you're smarter than C.S. Lewis. I said, at least do what C.S. Lewis did and go try to find out. And then, of course, you know, he messed up and let his wife get away from him. And about, Sherry had her almost to Jesus until he looked over <laughs> and saw that. And, uh, and uh, I mean, she, I looked over and she was praying. I said, well, there she goes. And, and, then, and then, you know, he went over and tried to interrupt that a little bit. But we, we talked to them. And you know what? In all fairness, they let us pray with them. And, and I just play for, pray today for the English guy that said he didn't believe. I, I can't remember what his name was. But, but see, that's not understanding the Scriptures. That's not understanding God at all. And, uh, and so also Psalms 103, verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Meaning, he, he, He's not judging us by the sins if we repent, and He's also not going to withhold stuff from us because we've been so bad. Amen. He's not sitting there going, well, let's see. Rick's real bad. I, I, he gets this. And, and Tommy, you were bad, but not as bad as Rick, so I'll give you this. Now, are there rewards in heaven? Certainly. Are, are, is everybody going to live the same way? You know, if, if you were somebody who lived your whole life full of sin and had a deathbed conversion right before you went, you're not going to be denied anything as far as forgiveness. You're not going to be denied eternity and perfection. But those who have advanced the kingdom and have built up treasures, we know that Paul said himself that he was going to receive you know, he was going to receive a prize. He was going to receive something from Jesus because he had not compromised the faith. But how about this? Redemption is denied to no one who truly repents of sin, repents of their sin. He I love this. He doesn't reward us according to our iniquities. This is great. Write this down. He rewards us according to grace. According to grace. He did that for all the Manassas in the world. And I certainly have been one myself. Psalms 103, 11 and 12. Am I doing these too fast? Are you all writing these down? Psalms 103, 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness 
to those who fear him. Don't miss that. So does God have loving kindness for everybody? No. It says his, his loving kindness is so great for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. You've heard that before? That's where this comes from. Psalms 103, 11, and 12. So when we fear God, because he said what? All wisdom comes from fear of God. Meaning we do fear, and certainly that means respect, but it also, the original Hebrew, means dread. Meaning we do fear that his wrath is coming. We acknowledge the holy God has to put wrath, his wrath is coming on sin. It is coming on evil. And, the, and, and, and when, I, when he says his kindness and his grace, that's one thing. Just like I've had to say to my own children, like my mama had to say to me, when I was living in open sin, anytime you're living with someone, my mama said exactly what God said. I will always love you. But until you change your behavior, I can't approve of you. That's God. So what God says is, I love all of you. But because I'm holy and you have turned from me, since you fail when you decided that you would reject what I said and you would be deceived by the serpent, you now are born to sin. You know, people say all the time, well, I was born this way. No, sin made you that way. And I say that all the time. Somebody says, well, I was born with a certain sin problem. So was I. may not be the same one. But, but so are you going to say, like when we, when we talk about you know, homosexuality, somebody says, well, I was born that way. Maybe. I was born an adulterer. So should I have just stuck with that? And say, well, this is how God made me. Well, that's not how God made me. That's how sin made me. Now, I may struggle with sin that you don't struggle with. And you be very careful that we're not sanctimonious about sins we don't struggle with. Because I, I got the same struggles of any sinner. But what I'm saying is I'm not going to claim that God made me a sinner, so therefore I'm just going to continue in sin. No, sin made me a sinner, and Jesus has to redeem me from my sin. So God loved me before I was redeemed, but he couldn't approve of me until I was redeemed. Do y'all understand that? I had to repent and I had to be made righteous by Jesus so I could then be ushered by Jesus into the presence of my Holy Father. He, yes, He loves everybody, but His grace has not been handed out to everybody. It hasn't. Only those who repent of sin. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins... Key, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did it say some again? What did it say? Say it again. All unrighteousness. Can I ask you this? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? It's true. It's true. Don't, don't let the sin continue to kill you. If you've repented of your sin with a sincere heart, the scriptures say he has forgiven us our sins and then cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what the word Manasseh means in Hebrew? Forgotten. Forgotten. And look what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins... And their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So we thought Manasseh 
would mean that God's forgotten Manasseh. No, what it means is Manasseh's sins, believe it or not, <laughs> were forgotten. Amen. That means that when Manasseh was walked in front of a holy God and Satan was shouting, he burned his own kid. God looks at Jesus and says, I don't see it. I don't see it. So whatever you have done, and praise the God, whatever I've done, if I've repented of it, it's over. And it's not to be held against me again. Is there earthly repercussions for it? Sure. And that's just me remembering what God forgave me for. And I'll deal with that until I get home. But hey, baby, when I get home, he makes all things new. And in eternity, it's not held against me at all. Do you believe that? Do you believe you can be forgiven? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the time. Thank you for this incredible promise for all the Manassas in this room and all that may be watching and listening around our country and around the world. I pray, Lord, that today somebody heard something from you in your holy word that clicked. Today's the day like I had to. Today's the day they got it. And right now, with a sincere heart for the first time, they just cry out to you and say, Lord, forgive me. I want that forgiveness that I just heard about. I submit to your authority completely, Lord. I repent of my sins. I want to be made new. And I know that only you can do it. And I believe you did it on the cross. And I want that gift. I want that, Lord. And I repent and come under your authority. And I confess you as the Lord who can transform me from a wretched, sinful person to all righteousness and forgive me of all my transgressions. Not some, but all. And I acknowledge that only you can do it, Jesus. The Bible tells us that, you know, if, if this is happening between you and the Lord and you're sincere in your heart, that you will be saved. If I can help you on how to, what that looks like going forward, you just reach out to me, Rick, at rickandbubba.com. I'm happy to talk to you, walk with you, help you any way that I can. There's just one sinner who's been saved talking to another. Lord, we take today and we lay it at your feet and we say thank you. In the name of Jesus as we go, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Mm.